Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's bi-weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. And I'm Heidi McDonald, also Co-Editor of PW Comics World, as well as Graphic uh, Review Editor for Publishers Weekly and the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at www.comicsbeat.com. And I'm Kay Fitzsimmons. I'm their podcast producer, and I write for both PWCW and The Beat. All right, this week on uh, More to Come, uh, we're going to talk to Heidi, who's uh, uh, recording live uh, from Heroes Con in uh, North Carolina, right? Right, that's and, right, um, right. First uh, in Charlotte. For Charlotte, North Carolina. So uh, we're also going to talk about the ending of Matt Granick's really uh, seminal and hilariously seminal Life in Hell. A, uh, a rest in peace eulogy for uh, the, the death of Robert Washington. I'm going to talk a little bit about my interview with Rob Salkowitz, a uh, business writer and futurist and self-described nerd who has written a book about Comic-Con. And, and then we'll have the uh, fall graphic novel al- uh, announcements uh, from Heidi and including the top ten graphic novels for the uh, for the fall. But today we're, we're recording from a variety of uh, remote locations. Through the beauty uh, of the internet, we're all able to call in. And God bless like, technology. You know, we're um, same room. We live in the future. So, uh, But why don't we uh, start off by talking about Heroes Con, because yeah, uh, Heidi's well, I, right there. Yeah, well, I'm down here in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is the 30th anniversary for Heroes Con, which is pretty amazing. I think... I think it's the longest-running consecutive Comic-Con um, wow. besides from San Diego. And there's one other, which I don't know what it is. But um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, so yeah, that is uh, a, a mystery. But uh, I think it might be Dragon Con. But anyway, I mean, all big, oh, maybe so, yeah. big ups to Shelton Drum for mm-hmm. keeping the show going for 30 years. And people come down here, and they really love it. I mean, it is like such a... Uh, Hospital, hospitality, southern charm down here. That it's just a, it's just a feel good show. And really, and it's, what's, a, it's a really comics fo- focused. Comics. Uh, absolutely, yeah. and uh, well, yeah, there are no celebrities here unless they happen to be doing comics. And I have to say, it's been a real chill show. I mean, there really hasn't <laughs> been any news coming out of here at all. Um, at least not in the big giant Marvel DC uh, usual way. Yeah. Um, I talked to to plenty of people uh, about different stuff. Like I, I saw. Um, um, for instance, I mean, Lee Edwards was talking about Brandon Jenner, which is this really cool kind of super motion comic that he's doing for Microsoft UK. But um, mostly what people are doing is hanging out and just enjoying comics. Um, the big the big thing here is Stan Lee. He is doing uh-huh. it for all three days. And, uh, you know, of course, huge crowds, huge lines for him. And uh, maybe uh, some people are maybe like, you know, maybe that's drawing a little bit of the attention off the floor. But uh, most people at actually did, did very well here so yeah pretty much just old school comics from long boxes on to stan lee um oh i should say that one panel i did was um to celebrate the 30 years of heroes con it was a 1982 focus panel and um probably just as well that stan lee was not listening to this panel since it was <laughs> quite a bit about jack kirby and his uh, situation in 1982 and um you know contracts and creators rights and all that stuff that comes up so, um, yeah, probably probably just as well Stan wasn't in the room for that. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> well, Stan's got a pretty thick skin. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, what, what kind of attendance does um, Heroes Con get? I haven't seen any numbers. I uh-huh. mean, it's probably in the realm of like twenty to 30,000, I'd mm-hmm. say. Yeah, substantial, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And 
Um, I mean, it's very, I always say to anyone, creators love coming down here. Uh, Shelton Drum and his, his crew really know how to treat people. Um, you know, they're having a dead dog party at the store tonight. As soon as I wrap up this podcast, I'll be headed over. So. All right. All right. We'll step it up. So we want to stand in front of your socializing. <laughs> but OK, well, um, moving right on. Uh, obviously, the uh, the end uh, announced uh, earlier this week, uh, Matt Granted of Life and Hell. Certainly um, one of the terrific <laughs> one of the great uh, comic indie comic strips, certainly of all time. Um, uh, it, it was certainly those early books, the collections. I remember when they came out, just hilarious. Um, oh yeah, totally. And uh, you have a great story up on the beat, also, just about really the the legend of how uh, Life in Hell well, really you, sort of ended up as obviously a precursor to The Simpsons. Yeah, but you know, we were talking about that. I was talking about that with a few people here, and uh, it is a little bit sad that that we really never talked about Life in Hell while it was running, and yeah. it wasn't until it stopped that all of a sudden everybody went back and said, "Oh my God, this is a great strip." Yeah, you yeah. Know? Uh, and I mean, I was who's one of the special guests here, and uh, you know, we were talking about it a little, and uh, you know, pointing that out. But I mean, it, it kind of gave everybody, I think, occasion to go back and look at the strips from the '80s, which is, you know, pretty much a heyday. And yeah. I mean, they stand up incredibly. Yeah, they They're so funny. I mean, I, I, you mentioned something on the beat, but I think everyone can attest to it. There were comic, there were, you know, various. Almost everyone had some uh, strip cut out in, in their cubicle. Uh, right. That you know just meant something really hilarious to them, but and he had plenty of them. Right, right, right. And so, but you know, it's also like, um, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's no secret that the alternative co- comic strip that used to run in alternative news weeklies is, you know, not exactly a thriving genre right now. And in fact, it's dying. It's definitely dying. Sure. And um, even even a strip like this, what was it? Is only in a handful of uh, uh, yeah. alternative weeklies. Like he said, because left, there's left only a handful of alternative weeklies. Yes, of them left. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's moved over to the to the internet. Obviously, I but I was on a panel here that was the humor panel, and uh, it was um, Evan Dorkin and uh, Roger Langridge and Tim Ricard of um, and and Tim uh, Ricard uh, uh, Rickard. He says everybody mispronounces his name as it just did. He has a uh, a, a uh, comic strip running also, so you know there was a lot of talk on the panel about uh, the switch to uh, you know web comics as opposed to um, uh, you know conventional strips and just how that's going and everything. And I and I mean you know there were some some pessimists on the panel who were saying like you know just because that is such a, a dying genre that there's not as much uh, humor. But, you know, I, I kind of disagree with that. Yeah, yeah. There's an awful lot of humor comics out there, actually. Boy, it seems that way, yeah. Um, um, well, it'll be interesting, obviously, to see what Granny decides to do next, if um, he does decide to do some things next. He seemed to be suggesting that he would be. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, everybody's eagerly awaiting his, his uh, you know, next move. Yeah, I mean, he's not dead yet. Surely he has yeah. far more creativity left in him. Absolutely. Okay. And well, yes. not to make a really grim segue, but talking about passing away. Passing of uh, Robert Washington, uh, really tremendously sad. Um, I really didn't know him. Did you, Did you, Heidi? Yes, uh, well, yes, I knew him back. Uh, he was one of the founding writers of the Milestone Comics line. And Milestone yes. was an imprint mm-hmm. of DC Comics, which came out in the early 90s. Sure. That was um, meant to be, uh, you know, di- diversification for comics. It was owned 
by uh, four African-American creators, and the characters in the books were uh, mostly minorities, and um, although certainly they were open to any kind of reader, but, you know, it was a, it was an attempt to get um, some more diverse heroes into the DCU, and uh, Robert Washington was the co-writer on a book called Static. Uh, Static oh, yes, of course. Which, of course, uh, has been a cox a cartoon since then that ran for like three years. I mean, it wasn't like a, you know, 13 episodes and out. And, um, and he wrote comics throughout the nineties and, you know, the, the business got bad after that. And then he dropped out of sight. I hadn't thought of him in a long time and he was quite character. I will say that it was very evident that he was quite a, a intriguing and unusual character, even speaking to him briefly, but, but he came up recently in the news quite sadly. Um, because he was being helped by Hero Initiative, because he was having a hard time finding work, and um, he had written a, a strip in uh, an anthology for the Hero Initiative, talking about how he had these hard times and had a hard time holding a job, and but was too proud to sometimes take handouts. But Hero Initiative had helped him, and then he uh, had a massive heart attack and passed away, and leaving not even enough money for a uh, burial. You know, it's, and he had it's unbelievably sad. Anyway. Um uh, but obviously, people can donate through to Hero, Hero Initiative. The Hero Initiative, excuse and, me. I mean, I believe enough money has been has been put together for memorial, and uh, which will be held, uh, I think, next week. Mm. So, I mean, it was a successful fund. But I mean, you know, here's a guy who created a character or co-created mm-hmm. um, a character that had its own cartoon. is still around. I mean, New Fifty Two. Really there's... historic imprint uh, of and, you know minority minority focused comics. And, but I'm in there. Literally dies in a garret. I mean, really, just uh, it's really uh, a disturbing story. It is. It is. Uh, and a lot of people have been have been talking about it. And you know, not to be too. And I mean, I don't mean to to lessen the sadness of Robert Washington's mm-hmm. death. With this, uh, the other co-creator of Static was Dwayne McDuffie, who died also. Oh, right. Yeah. Death, um, you know, of complications from surgery, elective surgery. And he died a couple years ago. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, somebody was asking, is there a static curse? And, I mean, I don't mean to be like, you know, like I said, I don't mean to cheapen the passing of these two great, great guys. But, you know, it is incredibly sad that uh, both those writers of static have died very young and, you know, or very unfortunate. Without a doubt. Um, and anyway, well, uh, rest in peace, uh, Robert Washington the third. Um <laughs> Uh, next on our list, uh, I had the uh, the great pleasure uh, this past week at uh, MoCA here in New York City to uh, do a public interview uh, with author Rob Salkowitz about his new book uh, from McGraw-Hill Books, Comic-Con and the Business of Pop Culture, What the World's Wildest Trade Show Can Tell Us About the Future of Entertainment. And, you know, this is really, uh, obviously, it's the perfect book for this time of year as we are uh, approaching uh, the mother of all comics con- conventions, San Diego Comic-Con International. Um, but Rob is a really interesting character. Uh, he's really a, a first-rate business analyst uh, and consultant and a guy who, as he says on his fairly extensive resume, uh, he's a past author of books, business books on on trends and globalization and where uh, the digital, where digital, digital markets are going today, and but he's also, and apparently not so secretly, a comic book nerd from way back. So the book is a really interesting um, 
arc of story that really looks at how uh, it looks at something that actually I think all of us have talked about in the past. How Comic-Con has become this locus really for every pop culture genre kind of under this big tent and really kind of really exposed how interrelated the, the disciplines and the fans are and where their interests right. overlap and really how this whole mishmash has kind of become a, almost a singular business in itself. Uh, right. So we talked quite a bit about that at um, – uh, well, well, I should say this. One of the great things about the book, because he tends to write you know, white paper and analysis, mm -hmm. one of the great things about this – and it, as it turns out, his agent is Den Dennis Kitchen, who, uh, uh -huh. who who gave him some humorous advisements about how to ap approach this topic. He really sets it uh, – uh, he sets his story at Comic-Con and looks at his involvement when he first uh, started going, which is in the late 90s, really as a fan, how his wife Eunice – got kind of got on the bandwagon too after she got out there and really saw the the insane fun that comic-con can be and then he really looked for an opportunity to merge his business and professional interest in analytical tools to something that he's really passionate about and so it looks at him helping jackie estrada you know work on the eisners and looks at him talking with different people and fans and writers at every level of of the business and talking about how comic-con has transformed the entertainment business. Just very briefly, a couple of things. The book looks at uh, about five topics that really every business writer is writing it throughout uh, um, um, uh, the modern media era. Globalization, digital disruption, the generational change in audiences and how businesses deal with them, entrepreneurial in innovation and how that's disrupting, and the tension between the centralization of the old mega brands and the new democratic democratization of how artists can bring uh, content to market. In any event, really terrific book, and he's going to be in Comic-Con hyping it okay. also. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I, I haven't read the entire book. I, I'm about halfway through it, but, you know, I'm quoted quite a bit. So I'm Yes, you are. As I just, absolutely. You're held in high regard. So. <laughs> we got a nice turnout at MOCA and uh, a lively question and answer. Uh, period and a lot of you know in industry muckety mucks uh, were seen in the audience, uh, including David Sternberger from uh, Comicsology, another uh, vendor in the book that's figures right, prominently. Right. So uh, and let's moving right on. Hey, uh, fall graphic novel announcements and Heidi, you've worked hard on them. So yes, I did for PW. Well, it's kind of cool because we split off the announcements for graphic novels into their own issue, oh, yes. uh, yes. which came out. And um, I guess you can read it on the website if you are a subscriber. Correct. Uh, yes, it. You know what? It may be in front of the paywall. I'm not yeah. entirely sure about that. All right. Well, if you go up to the Publishers Weekly uh, website and look under com news and comics, you should see fall or 2012 announcements. But uh, yeah, we did the top, top ten um, for fall, which uh, let's see, it concludes. And I was very lucky. I got to read all these. So I'm excited. Um, the Underwater Welder by Jeff Lemire, a new uh, a new uh, independent graphic novel by him, kind of Twilight Zone esque. Uh, Sailor Twain or the Mermaid in the, yes. Mermaid in the Hudson by Mark Siegel, which I think people have been reading as a webcomic. Yes. Um, Saga, which is coming out from yes. uh, Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples, an image. And, oh, by the way, some news that dropped in that issue that nobody even picked up on is the first volume is going to be $9.99, so oh. very, very affordable. Um, let's see, Toon Vanishing Point by Derek Kirkham, another kind of uh, science fictional comedy, I guess you'd call it. With a uh, webcomics background also. Yeah, the making of by Brecht Evans, uh, one of his uh, humorous um, uh, social story, stories. Mm -hmm. um, economics: How and Why yeah. Economics and Doesn't in Words and Pictures by Michael Goodwin and Dan Eber. 
I'm a very lucid look at uh, economics. Um, the, and the beginning of the American Fall, a comic journalist inside the Occupy Wall Street movement by Stephanie McMillan, which is pretty much what it sounds like, but, you know, very, very well done. Um, Marbles, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo and Me, a graphic memoir by Ellen Forney about her battle yeah. of polar disorder. Um, Today is the last day of the rest of your life by Uli Lust, which is a autobiographical story about a punk uh, journey across Europe. And uh, Building Stories by Chris Ware, which I think is pretty, it's, you know. Amazing Chris Ware, yeah. Year, so, you know. Uh, good stuff. Uh, I mean, the list is probably about 60 titles, and we had to cut quite a few off. It's a great time to be in comics. Well, and a, a shout out to uh, our intern, Matt White, who uh, I think gave you a lot of help. So, yeah, you know, good, good comics coming. Okay. And, okay, now let's uh, segue to Kate with uh, the news briefs. Kate? Well, as Heidi mentioned, Stan Lee's been very busy lately. Busier than usual. <laughs> okay. According to the Los Angeles Times, Stan Lee has been hired by the Chinese government's film studio, National Film Capital, to create a Chinese superhero for them which he claims is the perfect Chinese hero, uh, called the Annihilator. Make of this what you will. (laughs) The Chinese government is putting up between $100 to $150 million to make this movie, which they will attempt to uh, market to the world market. Okay, well, as as Stan and, might say himself, enough said. But <laughs> enough said. And um, also on the slate from from uh, the Chinese government's attempt to break into the world film market are a historical epic about Genghis Khan and an action fantasy called Dragon Scroll. So we'll see if they're the <laughs> okay. next Universal. And also, Stanley is going to be very super himself. He is in the new Spider-Man game as a playable character voiced by himself. Dressed as Stanley, acting as Stanley, but randomly swinging around as if he were Spider-Man. So if you wish to be Stanley for a day, you can. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Let's start lining up, folks. <laughs> Speaking of comic book celebrities, Alan Moore is currently being defended by the CBLDF, or rather one of his books says. Alan Moore and Jason Burroughs' Necronomicon has been pulled from the Greenville, South Carolina library because although it is an adult book and was marked and shelved as an adult book, a 14-year-old girl managed to check it out and horrified her mother. And so now it is being pulled from the library and the CBLDF and the National Coalition Against Censorship and the American Booksellers Foundation for Free Expression are all converging on the uh, Greenville Public Library, calling for a return of the book. It's 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 pathetic. But the weird thing about this case is apparently the mother checked the book before she took it out, and somehow or other it seemed fine. And then when she got it home, she decided it was inappropriate somehow. Well, apparently she just looked at it and said, "Oh, yeah. it's a comic." And yeah, then yeah, right. Didn't really look at it very closely. And I mean, if you look at the cover, it looks very innocent. I yeah. mean, it, you wouldn't know yeah. unless you knew Alan Moore right. that this could contain. <laughs> yeah problematic material well yes this is true (laughs) and apparently it does Uh, and it does and how well uh the the good folks at the uh cbldf the comic book legal defense fund uh are obviously on the case also in comics news the national geographic channel is going to have a one-hour special about 
your hometown comic book store and mine, Calvin. Yes, yeah, it's I'm impressed. Comics. Yes, I'm very impressed that they're going to be a reality show, apparently. Uh, I, I don't know that they're a reality show. I think they're a, just a one shot. Well, it's special. a one shot. It's a one shot, right? I mean, it's going to be an hour show set at Midtown Comics. And really, I guess it's more of a documentary, I should say. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I imagine hijinks will ensue. But um, they're going to be following, uh, you know, the staffers from the store as they, you know, they go about their business, as well as while they're simultaneously planning uh, the booth that they're going to be having at the New York Comic Con. So uh, comics retailers uh, on TV. Well, you know, I mean, I feel like in a strange way, this this more speaks to the need out there than perhaps comic book men because now your grandma who always wondered what this strange world of comic books was like can sit down and watch the national geographic channel and understand your culture yes, just yes. as you sort of you is. sit down and and watch something about the people of the amazon rainforest exactly it's a, it's another version of national geographic doing an anthropological study at a like a at a curious exotic species <laughs> the, the, yes the comics case, retailer us. yes so, all right. So that's going to be on July 13th. It'll premiere, so everybody can uh, set their DVRs <laughs> to record. Anyway, um, that's wrapping our news breaks up for this week, Calvin. All right. So uh, we're going to wrap up this week. We'll, we'll be back in another week or so uh, to talk more comics on uh, more to come.